This episode comes with a small trigger warning. Uh, we are going to be talking openly about poo, surgery and bodily functions. So if those things gross you out, this isn't the episode for you. Otherwise, sit back and enjoy. Hi everyone and welcome back to Bangers and Mouse Chat. Um, hope you're having a good week. Uh, this was for part two of our Ostomy special. Um, if you haven't heard part one, definitely go back, download and have a listen. It was the wonderful Claire Goff, my uh, stoma nurse, talking to us about stomas and giving lots of patient advice and answering your questions. Uh, really interesting stuff. Um, so yeah, go back and have a listen if you haven't to that already. Um, and now we are on episode six, part two. Uh, which is the second part of Ask Me Special, and it's with the lovely Caroline Bramwell, um, who, as we've said already, was the PR, is the PR and communications manager for the Iliotomy Association, as well as being a triathlete and inspirational speaker and published author. So sit back and enjoy this one. Okay, Ethan, Caroline, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone, the person you are now going to be listening to for a while is Caroline Brownwell. She is an inspirational speaker, PR and communications manager for the Iliostomy Association, which some of you know that I've done um, an article for uh, right at the beginning of my journey. And I've also done, I can't remember what year it was actually, where we did the oh, Stoma Awareness Day that I did something for IA on. That was really good fun. Um, and she's also the author, published author of a book called Lou Rolls to Lycra. Um, she's been voted one of the UK's top 10 female entrepreneurs by Cosmopolitan magazine and winner of the Venus Inspirational Woman of the Year Awards for Devon. So she's she's quite the, she, you know, she, yeah. She's blushing. Oh, <laughs> she, she should be blushing. She's a pretty incredible woman and very inspirational. So we feel very lucky to be able to steal some of her time this evening to talk to us on our Ostomy episode for Bangs and Mash Chat. Welcome, Caroline. Yeah, welcome. Thank you very much. Oh, my word. What an intro. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously, Ellie knows you really, really well, but me less so. Uh, so would you mind giving us a sort of brief history of, of your illness and, and what led to, to you having a stoma? Yeah, well, I had ulcerative colitis, um, which you'll know so much about. It's an autoimmune <laughs> disorder that attacks your insides. Um, when people ask me, how does that happen? I, my description is it's like your, your guns that normally fight off viruses have turned inwards. So the guns oh, yeah. are attacking you instead of oh, outwards. Um, so that's my easy way of explaining what you know we've all lived through with colitis. Um, but I wasn't diagnosed until I was actually pregnant. So I was pregnant with my second child when I was bleeding and I thought obviously I was going to miscarry, but it was not that. It was coming from the wrong part. And that's ah. when um, it's like, no, the baby's fine, which was a relief. Mm. Um, but yeah, we did suspect, I think at first the GPs thought it was IBS, you know, just irritable bowel. Uh, but now as the pregnancy went on and the symptoms were presenting more of a colitis more of an inflammation but they couldn't actually diagnose it properly because you couldn't get the colonoscopy done until i was beyond six months pregnant because obviously we've got the risk with the baby so yeah. uh, so they couldn't do any true um digging around until there was no chance that i was going to have a problem with the baby so obviously beyond six months pregnant had that lovely colonoscopy and uh, yeah diagnosis you have colitis but of course 
we we do know that the way to control colitis is to suppress your immune system with steroids but when you're pregnant you can't take steroids yeah so um so i had to just sort of go with the flow a bit thankfully it wasn't too aggressive at that point so um i didn't have to take any meds until after my daughter was born so she was born by cesarean and then I was just emaciated when that <laughs> disease kicks in. You know, mm-hmm. I lost two stone in two weeks after she was born. That's oh, how wow. extreme it was. Mine was severe. It was horrendous. I couldn't feed her. You know, my body just was giving up on itself, I think. So uh, so she was bottle fed from two weeks old. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mine was colitis and I lived with it for four years on and off yo-yoing with the meds you know the whole did they know what I know there's there's never well very rarely they can tell like what causes it would it because it started in pregnancy did they think it was something to do with that or like hormones or something or was it just an unknown no it's a complete unknown because after Natasha was born obviously that's where you get to see the consultant and get into the real heavy stuff with the guys at the hospital and um the traditional thing is they say, is it hereditary? Because there is suspicion that, you know, this is a hereditary thing. Well, it definitely is not in my family. Um, so there's no trace of it in my family. The only thing we thought perhaps it could have been was that 10 years prior, I'd been out in um, Africa on a cycle event and I'd caught giardia, which is like dysentery. And so there was a suspicion there's never any research to it but someone said it could be that that parasite lays dormant in your system and then causes a problem with your immune system uh, much later on in life we never know whether that was the case for me but it's the only thing I could pinpoint that had ever happened to me before that might have been a trigger but Yeah. yeah otherwise you know having colitis was completely new to me and having a stoma was completely new to me I didn't know anybody with any of this stuff So what led to the actual stoma formation in the end? Was it like an emergency or did it just end up being a treatment plan towards the end? I chose it um, because I was getting worse. The meds, the steroids were getting higher doses because they can only give you a maximum amount of steroids based on your body weight. And mine just kept going up. And every time we tried to wean it down, it would go back up again. You know, it was just a yo-yo for years. And I had ended up being completely housebound because we couldn't control it. And considering I run my own business, um, you know, my meetings, I couldn't go to client meetings. Uh, There were some horror stories about going to a meeting and then disappearing to the toilet for 40 minutes. I'm sure they think I'd just left the building. But, you know, I hadn't. I came back and had to apologise. Needless to say, I didn't win the contract. (laughs) So uh, I wonder why. But, you know, so it really was impacting not only home life, but my work, but impacting my work then also on the flip side impacts my home life because yeah. I was the front of the business. My husband is a graphic designer. I had two members of staff and I couldn't win the work because yeah. I couldn't go out. So it was a massive thing. We left. We let one member of staff go because I'd had to consider the option of surgery. Um but it was because I'd become housebound, really. Yeah. Um, we went to the cinema one night and um, it was only coming out of the cinema. I had one of those attacks, you know, a flare when you're in the street. 
and I had to dive into the bushes. My poor husband was on watch and he, I think this is it, people who've not lived with it don't see the impact on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. My husband saw me at home with it, but he never saw me at work with it because my office was away from the house. Yeah. So to see me bent up double in pain, hiding in the bushes for 40 minutes or more, yeah. he was mortified. He'd heard yeah. me talk about it, but he'd never actually experienced that. And that was the night that we had the discussion about next step. Um, his suggestion was, I think we need a portaloo installed in the back of the car. And that was when I went, no, that's not that's the decision a, I thought we were going to be making here. That's such a man, man thing to yeah, say. Yeah, let's take a toilet cool. with us. Insanely practical. Oh, no. but... Let's do something that means we don't need to take a toilet with us. I know, yeah. And I thought, do you know what? That's not quite where I want to go with this. I don't want to revolve my life around the back of my car now. Yeah. So it was bad enough revolving it around a house, not just yeah. having a car as well. So it was that was the night that we had the discussion. I mean, my consultant at the hospital had suggested surgery but you know what it's like it's like no no not surgery I can control it I can control it um but no it was at that point where it wasn't controllable I couldn't really go out I couldn't leave the house I was having accidents even in my own home it was that severe so what were your expectations of life after that stoma formation and and how does that differ from from how it actually is I seem to remember the stoma nurses giving me a bag before my surgery to say, you know, just to get used to the idea. And I would put it against my body and cry, looking in the mirror, going, no, I've got a bag, you know, all the because I knew nobody with a bag. I knew nobody with stomas. Um, so, you know, it was quite a fearful thing. And here, in hindsight, I look back and I see so many other people have those fears. You know, it's a common fear. If you don't know someone with a bag, then, yeah, you're going to dread what it is. I was thinking, you know, look at my body now. But then on the flip side, there was a bit of me thinking, but the bag will mean I can go out. Mm-hmm. So to me, it meant I could go out. It could be a bit more freedom. So, yes, it was going to be difficult and different, but it would give me a freedom that I didn't have. I mean, if it took away the pain. I'd be happy just for that, to be perfectly honest. So that's all part of the decision making. And because of my kids, and if I well up now, I apologise because I always no, cry no. when I talk about my children. No, I don't. My kids at the time were four and six years old when I had my surgery. And they were the reason I decided as well, because mm-hmm. I couldn't even play with them. The moment I got down on the floor and rolled around, that's it. Off goes another flare dashed to the bathroom. Mm. We tried taking them to Butlins for a weekend. I spent the whole weekend in the chalet because I was so ill or I was in the toilet and they have to wait outside all the time. So I just thought it's not quality life. I didn't want yeah. this life. I didn't want to revolve like this. Um, and so really the kids were my motivating factor to go. I want to be a mum. I was becoming invisible. I was staying locked indoors. My husband was doing everything. He was doing the shopping. He was doing the house. He was doing the food. He was doing everything. So, um, yeah, it was more a case of I need a quality of life. I want to enjoy my time with my kids. Um, So that was my motivation to say, let's just get this done. It can't be any worse. 
Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> After you'd had your surgery, was it? I mean, I remember before I had mine, my surgeon said to me, um, I mean, mine was an acute, um, obviously, emergency admission, as you know, but um, she said to me, you will, she said, it's hard to believe this now, but you will feel immediately better. Like when you wake up, you will feel immediately better. And I didn't believe her. I was like, nah, it'd be recovery. But I woke up and burst into tears because there was no pain. There was, it just, I had a bag and I had drips and I had flipping tubes coming out of everywhere. But immediately life improved because like you said for the last sort of two or three months I was tied to the toilet and the anxiety as well kicked my mental health through the roof so um after you'd had your surgery was it that similar immediate relief or did it sort of take a bit longer to kick in it was instantaneous just like you I mean I had to have two blood transfusions as well because I was so anemic that they needed to do two blood transfusions before they did my surgery um so and I'd been I was being hospitalised for a week and all sorts. So when I went in for my surgery, um, yes, I was terrified going in. You know, two small children off they went to the zoo while I went in to have my guts ripped out. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but you should know, laugh, but it's just it like it's just like that. Hugely different sides of someone's day, isn't it? Completely, it's completely. <laughs> yes, kids, off you go, go see the monkeys, <laughs> and that's it. So I felt really alone, but I was in a hospital. I had a good team around me and they were very reassuring. But, you know, they still got this fear. I was on my own. My husband wasn't there. My kids weren't there. They were all off out of the zoo. Um, And so I had the surgery. As you say, I came round and once all the drugs have worked, you know, the, the anaesthetic has gone. I was told I was grinning from ear to ear. And I remember feeling like that. Because, yes, I looked down and I'd got a bag and the anaesthetist had come into my room and said, right, let's take away all this lot. And all those drugs that were in my cupboard, 16 tablets a day, he literally scooped them all up and said, you don't need these anymore. You're fixed. And it was like fixed. fixed. I mean, it does your head in, doesn't it? As you say, you have to recover. Um but you don't, well, you do a bit, but actually it's like one minute you've got colitis, next minute you don't. Mm. You don't have a recovery period. You just go from A to B instantly. The two other sides of uh, IBD, vitamin Crohn's and colitis, like with Crohn's, you're not quite so lucky because it's elsewhere in the digestive system. So having your colon removed wouldn't necessarily stop those symptoms. It kind of just moves everywhere else. So I think one of yeah. my scariest moments was when they were testing the rest of my, when they removed it, they tested it to see if it was intermittent or Crohn's colitis and I think I was more nervous waiting for those results than I was for the whole rest of my experience because I was like I can I will be okay if I don't have Crohn's and it's <laughs> yes. like I know that sounds awful because I know so I know. many people with Crohn's and I know how much they suffer and what they go through and I get that and it's 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 a horrendous disease to live with mm. um but I think I feel even though this has all happened I feel lucky that it was yeah. sort of that side of things So if before um, you got poorly with colitis, before you were diagnosed, what was your lifestyle like then compared to what it is now? So we all know that, um, or we do know now, that you went from Lou Rolls to Lycra, that you are triathlete. You're yes. very active. You compete. Did you do that pre-colitis or is that all post-stoma? All post-stoma. 
I am the biggest, laziest couch potato you've ever met in your entire life. Hello. No, you've met me now. <laughs> well, we probably sat on the same sofa. <laughs> but yeah, I did nothing like sports wise, not at all. I mean, when I was young, I didn't enjoy sport. Um, I just remember at school, um, I went to an all girls school for my senior school and we had to do hockey, which obviously means running up and down a field which I don't like doing yeah. or I didn't like doing. And so I used to always, always offered to be the goalkeeper. So you just cover me in armour and stand in the goal. And that's yeah. it. I don't yeah. have to run. Yeah, <laughs> you did, didn't it? I was nice hockey goalie for 10 years. <laughs> I, didn't want to, I didn't want to go skating around. I was happy yeah. in goal. Thank you very much. We're from the same mould. That we was are. me. Clearly. That's exactly me. <laughs> Cross-country running, forget it. It's called cross-country oh. walking or yeah. find the shortcut. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Or just hate it. for a quick cigarette halfway around. So, so <laughs> I really need to know how you went from yes. that to <laughs> triathlete, because yeah. so I'd like a bit of that, please. Uh, we'll give you a little taste of that, shall we? Um, <laughs> after my surgery, um, because of all the steroids, I was big and bloated, moon-faced, overweight. I put on the weight. Um I still couldn't look at myself in the mirror because I used to cry. If I looked at myself in photos or mirror, I couldn't bear it. So I wanted to lose that weight. But lazy couch potato is never going to go for a little jog every night, is she? No. So I had to find a motivation. So what I did, just as you do, I signed up for a charity event. Um, but it was a cycling event because I thought, oh, can't do running. Let's do cycling. That's going to be easier. And I couldn't swim, by the way. Anyway, so so I thought I'd do a cycle event. And um, I signed up for this with a friend. And then I thought, I better talk to my GP, make sure, you know, I've had surgery this year. And um, she was a little bit surprised because I'd signed up to do a 24 hour bike ride from London to Paris. So... OK. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> Oh, nothing like a challenge. Well, I thought I needed a big, big goal to motivate me to go and train for it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have lost that weight. I wouldn't have got the exercise. So that's what I did. I signed up and I'd had my surgery in the March and I hired a PT, a fitness instructor, to work with me in the, I'm trying to think when he, he did that. God, I can't even remember when he did that. That was in the November, October, November after my surgery and we started from scratch he was mortified at my challenge he didn't think it was going to be possible because we had to average 18 miles an hour all the way there to do it in 24 hours you got to average yeah. about 20, 18 miles oh, an wow. hour he thought I meant kilometers an hour and then he was mortified when I said no it is 18 miles per hour so um so yeah we basically he got me training on the bike and um, I cycled into Paris uh, in the July the following year, so just a year and a bit after surgery. And I rode in on the Saturday and we watched Mark Cavendish finish on the Tour de France on the Sunday morning. So oh, it wow. was the bonus. I actually we it was a planned thing. It was for a, a charity. It wasn't for IA because I wasn't doing that at the time. Um, but we did. We rode into Paris. We left London on the Friday morning and we arrived in Paris on Saturday morning 24 hours later so uh, so that was amazing. my cycling endeavours but then couch potato kicks in for another two years um, <laughs> and it was only because the people I met on that ride said 
do you fancy doing another one? We're doing Newcastle to London 24. And I thought, yeah, why not? You don't have the ferry bit. It's actually further than Paris, I can tell you. <laughs> it's 30 miles longer doing Newcastle to London. It's 300 miles. Uh, whereas London to Paris is 270 of cycling. Wow. So, I think that would no, that's crazy. I know. And of course, Newcastle to London, you didn't get the ferry ride rest in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way these would work, what we were doing was we would ride for three hours. Then you would have a short break. Then you would ride for another three. Then you'd have another break. So they were they were all planned with feed stations. The yeah. bonus, you could eat as much chocolate, crisps, nuts <laughs> as you particularly wanted. Obviously, I was avoiding the nuts, but I was eating the chocolate and the pasta and everything else at every feed station. Um, so I did London to Paris in 24 hours. And two years later, I did Newcastle to London in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And it rained for 18 of those hours. Oh, wow. So I was a little bit soggy. I learned a few lessons about my bag big time on that event mm-hmm. um, as in I having to be brave enough to change my bag behind a tree in the street and yeah. you know you sometimes just have to do what you got to do yep. so <laughs> you know there is no you, you can't be shy sometimes yeah. and I had to tell some of the people on the ride what was happening so it was quite nice that I felt I could share with one or two people so that's where my cycling came from um, but then I slipped back into lazy mode again and decided when I needed a new challenge, I thought I'd just learn to swim properly because I would swim, stay always in my depth. And I was terrified of putting my face in the water. I was scared of water. Don't tell me you're yeah. like that as well. Yeah, no, I, yeah I'm exactly the same. He hates having, even in the shower, he doesn't like having his face in the water very much. No, and I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid that. of being in the water, but I just can't. I hold my breath when I swim. Yeah. So I get a certain a certain way, and you then panicky, don't you? I panic because I'm not breathing. So. Oh God, you're mean. And then, <laughs> guys, that is so mean. That's exactly what I did. I was terrified of water. I could get yeah. in it and swim around as long as my head was about a foot above the waterline and yeah. didn't get wet. It takes an um, awful lot of more energy to do that than yeah. actually do it properly. But yeah. one day, I, one day I'll one get around to it. One day you'll get to see that. Yeah. Get into triathlon, see. Well, I'd have to do the swimming bit. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I want to do some <laughs> swim with me events. I okay. want to run some swim with me events and get more people swimming. I've become a triathlon coach through lockdown. Oh, really? So I am now a qualified coach as well. Oh, wow. So, that's fantastic. So that's my, my thing that I did through lockdown was I qualified at level one. I'm going to start to do my level two training now. That's so, really cool. So uh, that, that, That's a really good point. So, so. For people who have a stoma, is the training any different to people without a stoma? Think about hydration and nutrition, things like that. Did you do anything differently or learn anything along the way? Um, I I trusted my core. I didn't wear support belts or anything. I think I tried at the start, but they just roll up around their waist, yeah. you know, under a tri suit. You know, they're just going to get all rolled up and horrible. And you can't swim in them anyway because they're all soggy. So really, I'm wearing Lycra, which will hold everything in place. Um, I tested a gazillion different products because (laughs) when you've got a stoma bag, you come out of hospital with the version you're given and you don't always realise that you've got so much choice out there. And I changed mine because the moment I started to swim, 
the base plate of mine was going all gummy and horrible. It was absorbing yeah. all that fluid, all of the water from the pool. So, um, yeah, so that's when I started to look at all the products on the market and tested everything. So that it stayed stuck. And I ended up finding a solution that worked for me and flange extenders, extra things to stop the water ingress. And yeah, every now and then I do tweak and change and test new products as they come on the market, yeah. just to see if there's anything new that's better. So far, nothing beats what I've found. So I'm happy with my lot, but the training doesn't change. I mm. still train just like everybody else. I think if I'm doing circuit work, there's certain things you have to be careful of, like planks and anything with intra-abdominal pressure. Um, so there's certain things you have to build up to that. You've got to build up your core before you can do things like that. But swim, bike and run. There's nothing str well, very strenuous, but not not on your core in the same way. Yeah. And swimming mm -hmm. is fantastic. Even yeah. if people didn't do anything else, swimming is great. It's so good to so, there. A big all-rounder. It is. And gentle on the body because mm. you're in the water, you're supported. So, yeah, yeah it's definitely a good all-round sport for people. So that's why I took up swimming next. And I learned to <laughs> swim like you. I was terrified of putting my face in the water. And I was doing bubble, bubble, blow. I, had a, I went to lessons to get <laughs> used to putting my face in. And once I got the hang of it, yeah, I could swim half a length. Oh, my God, I could swim a full length. You know, it got to that level. And then I joined the tri club because I got a bit ambitious. <laughs> but uh, my theory was, well, anyone, my theory was anybody could run. It's just putting a foot in front of the other, really. I did learn that you can't just run. You do actually have to train. So um, but my theory was I knew I could ride a bike and the fact that I could swim a length or two meant I could swim. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just find a. Uh, you know, a little local triathlon. I wasn't thinking of anything big, just a little something for me. It was just my own personal little challenge. And that's when I joined the tri club and um, I went along to their swim sessions and realised how far at the bottom of the pecking order I was when it came to swimming. <laughs> I was miles and miles behind these guys, uh, but I stuck with it and they've been supportive all the way. So, uh, you know, I've been with the tri club right since then i'm chairman of the tri club now so uh, oh, wow. sort of work my way up yeah doesn't mean i'm any quicker than the rest of them they're, they're all fantastic it just means i take on the some of the workload of organizing things for the club so <laughs> yeah so i sort of learned gradually yeah really really cool so along the way um i mean a lot of the questions that we had in or a lot of the comments that we've had are surrounding linking mental health to stoma life like whether it's through the surgery before the surgery um worries about how life's going to be after that kind of thing and just adjusting and that sort of thing um how did you find things mentally speaking afterwards like did you find it difficult to kind of adapt to life post stoma or did like the challenges of the sport things you were doing kind of give you something to focus on and keep it away or have you have you just always been pretty pretty cool with it I thought uh, to be honest straight after surgery I was pretty cool with it because immediately having that bag gave me the freedom I mm. didn't have to worry about one pain and two I didn't have to worry where the toilet was those yeah. were my two big things so mentally I accepted that this gave me freedom so to me, the bag wasn't a negative. It was a positive. Yeah. It was my freedom. It's like having mm. a ticket to say you can go out and don't have to dash around. So it's your life back. <laughs> exactly. It yeah. might be slightly different because you've got a bag, but actually you've yeah. got a life again now. So for me, it was a positive in that respect. Um, 
and the sport just came in later really I suppose so for me it was a a freedom it was the fact that I could then take the kids out yeah and you could be active with them as well you can do stuff with them absolutely yeah it's funny because as I lost the weight at that point with all that exercise I started to do with the first bike ride the kids instead of fat mum I was called fit mum oh (laughs) brilliant I know they were so sweet but also I think the kids made it really easy to accept um when I would you know you get used to changing the bag in the house but then you've got to go out how are you going to deal with your bag if you're out and about and again like anyone else there was nervousness about doing that new but I would go to the large um accessible now but disabled cubicle you know the big cubicles Mm -hmm. because I had the two small children as well but I would go in there and I had to change my bag one day in there in the shopping center toilets and the kids were fascinated they literally went oh and I thought you know what the kids are not phased at all by me having to change my bag and see my stoma so why the hell am I worrying yeah. The kids aren't worried. It's weird, isn't it? I remember first meeting um Kev's two kids and I think um Louis was seven nine. Nine, yeah. So he was nine and we tried to explain it in a very sort of picture book way of because it's quite yeah. confusing about what this they think the stoma is the bag kind of thing. And so anyway, I explained it to him and then I disappeared off and he was like, Oh, where are you going? And Kevin said, Oh no, stay out the bedroom, Ellie's gonna change her bag. And he went, Oh, can I watch? And I was like, is it okay because like he he is very he's not grossed out by anything he is this kid that you know he will sit through <laughs> horror films and be fine and I said you know educationally speaking I was like this might be really good for him um but we obviously asked him a good few times and made sure that he was fine and he stood on the other side of the bedroom <laughs> I was like Jordan closer he was like no no I'm fine here but he watched and he was fascinated because I was explaining as I went along like which part of the body it was and that kind of thing and he was yeah kids just take it in the stride, don't they? Because it's just interesting. It's like you've yeah. got a bit of your body on the outside. Yeah. I mean, my daughter, I mean, she was four when I had surgery and my son, Robert, was six. Mm-hmm. Um, and coming home, having my bags, changing my bags at home, you know, I could lay it all out and they would wander into the bathroom. Not bothered at all. Natasha used to lay all my kit out for me. She, and I kept thinking oh. she's going to grow up to be a stoma nurse. She's not. She's climbing. She's becoming a climbing instructor. So oh, wow. Goes, you know, one extreme to another. But, you know, she was very empathetic and she would lay it all out. And I always remember her being in the bathroom with me, looking at it and went, Mum, when I grow up, will I have a stoma? Oh. oh. And I said, I hope not. not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love mine, but I hope not. Where do you sit with the whole reversal topic? Um, for me, it was a deliberate choice to make mine a permanent stoma. Mm-hmm. Because for mine, the colitis was right down into the rectum, right at the very bottom. And so we did talk about the option of reversals uh, with my consultant. But we would have still had to have left that stump. And I still had colitis in it. Yeah. So it was like, well, I'd go through surgery, have a stoma with a possible chance of reversal and it will make no difference because I've still got colitis. So actually, I thought my priority was quality of life, getting on with my life, get back to being a mum, doing my job, you know, with what I do. So my decision was, let's just take the whole thing away, straight away. 
I did all my research for because my surgeon says to me like you're a prime candidate for it but like you my colitis was down in the anus and rectum so yeah. because you keep the anal cast there was the risk of cuffitis pouchitis which is basically repeated antibiotics then like you say it's permanent ring sting because you've got the enzymes that you can't withdraw from the colon so that comes out so you're using like pseudocreme all the time and then you're still planning around toilets because even with a bag I don't know about you but one food one day and it's normal consistency give it to me a week later and it's like water and yeah. if you've got a pouch you don't have that time to run to a toilet so yeah. I was like I am done with planning my life around loose and I just you get your control don't you back with the bag it's like yeah, I decide now yeah, and it's it. yeah I'm totally with you on that I made the same decision to to have that surgery Barbie yeah. butts all the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah Barbie butts but you know for people who've got internal pouches they've made that decision for different reasons for sure. and I think that's the thing everyone's got their own reasons Absolutely. for having a pouch maybe somebody really doesn't want to have a bag or is not comfortable with the bag and wants to have an internal pouch or yeah. at least as they say give it a go because you can always reverse back to a bag again if the internal pouch doesn't for work. sure I mean so, yeah I did my surgeon did actually say that they do it they mostly do j pouches for people who are mentally struggling to cope with having a stoma and there are yeah. those people out there for sure yeah absolutely um, and if it works for you it works for you like you say it's absolutely different for everyone it just wasn't for my circumstances so <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean it's nice that there's the option in all honesty but yeah, yeah. I think also had I left the stump there I would have dithered for years do mm -hmm. I don't I do I don't I and I actually didn't want, I lived with this for several years already and I didn't want that dilemma. So I thought, make the decision now. Yeah. And that's it. Do it once, get it done, get the quality of life back. And it was about knowing why I wanted it done. So yeah. again, that was my priority. Quality of life, get back to work, get back to being mum as quick yeah. as possible, having freedom again. So and kind of nice that it came after kids because I've got a friend at the minute who's um, she's had stoma surgery. She had it before me. Uh, she wants to have the stoma permanently there. She wants to have her um, uh, completion protect me, but she also wants to have kids. So she's been yeah. told to wait until she has her kids before the stump comes out. So she's kind of just waiting now to sort of have her family and then have the surgery afterwards. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's yeah, it's diff different times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. But everyone's unique. And I know people go, oh, should I do a reversal or not? You can't answer for somebody else, no, can you? Because your not. own position is different. Have you got kids? Have you not got kids? What's yeah. your priority? Do you want a bag? Do you want 100%. to be without a bag on show? You know, everyone's yeah. got different mental aspects to it as well as physical. Yeah, no. I did some advocacy for my surgeon and she referred a guy to me who's got four children all under the age of 12 and he's had a stoma for 10 years and he's got on well with it from colitis like they get on he said it's no problem stoma absolutely fine to manage and he said but now the topic of reversals come up and he had my surgeon and she said can you just have a chat with him I've given him your email to just talk over the options not convincing him out of it just discussing what you did yeah. on your research and I said to him ultimately it comes down to your lifestyle you have four very young children you're running around like a mad thing because you have four very young children where does that sit with what could potentially happen and he yes. ended up about three or four weeks later just saying yeah I'm gonna have the uh I'm gonna have the Barbie butt done or the Ken butt for a man oh yes yeah, like, just... for the men. <laughs> yeah, yeah it is a Ken butt nice yeah yeah <laughs> um, but yeah he was just like this quality of life is incredible and just for the sake of for him personally obviously he said for me it's kind of a vanity thing and that yes. was the only reason that he was going to do it and I just said, well, if it's only vanity, 
So he, yeah, he had a long Is that really a good enough reason if it's yeah. just the vanity thing? So exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, both of you. I mean, your your positivity towards this thing, you know, just oozes through the camera or through the microphone. Um, but as Ellie mentioned in the in the intro, you're an inspirational speaker. So how did that come about? And does that work in with with the stoma thing? At, you know, yeah. do you talk about that as well? Yeah, that's what actually started it all off. To be perfectly honest, it's amazing how much has changed since I had my stoma. One, I never did sport. Now I do sport. But also, I used to write notes for writing books, but never wrote one. Mm-hmm. And um, because I'm a writer by trade, I work in PR. So, you know, for me, I'm a writer naturally. And I'd always thought of writing a book and I'd started some in the past and not written them. And then I I think it was because I was in some Facebook groups for with Ostomates and people were saying to me, do you know, you've done so much. I would love to, if you ever wrote your book, I'd love to read your book. And I said, well, I, I'm keeping a diary. And I was keeping a diary of what I was doing and going through, you know, living with stoma. And um, so when people were asking me about that, I thought, oh, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I should. There. Maybe I should. Yeah. So I said to them, look, do you know what? You've made me think I am going to write it. So I started to write. Um, and I really was just updating it from my diary and expanding mm-hmm. as I wrote it. And then I was asking around about how would I publish my book if I wanted to publish my story for somebody. And it was through social media that a publisher, I just, I'd gone to, I went to Waterstones and looked at all the publishers that were on the shelf that did this kind of a book. Yeah. There were three. And I contacted all three of them through social media. I started to follow them, looked at what they were after and just chatted with them on socials. When I started to talk about what I did, this one pitch publishing just said, can we talk? We'd like your story. Mm -hmm. And so that's where it came about. So it was just chatting on social media that the uh, publisher said, we like the sound of this. Do you want to? And they gave me a link to write something down for them so I gave them like a short version of it a synopsis of the whole book and uh it just went we want it we want your book Mm -hmm. we want your story and they sent me a contract so uh, I got signed to write my book and the reason I mentioned the book is because it was off the back of the book that then speaking opportunities arose um because I was talking obviously more in the stone world because by the time I was writing the book I'd become sponsored as a triathlete within the stoma world. Oh, well, okay. So I'd already got sponsors. Um, and then they would ask me to go and do talks. And of course, the word got out that I gave talks. And then I started to bring that into my work stuff as motivational and inspirational speaking. Um, and it sort of spiralled, really. So I think some of the best ones I did were down, I'm in the southwest, mm-hmm. and the Devon and Cornwall police have actually hired me twice as an inspirational speaker for the police force. Wow, so, that's great. I know. I love I, that. And they were two of them on two weeks, literally two consecutive weeks. One week I was doing a, an event for police women, and that was talking about how do you juggle being a mum and being a triathlete? Because for them it was juggling how do I be a police officer and then yeah. be mum? And the whole, the, the theory is the same. It's about switching off when you're one being the other 
giving mm -hmm. each your dedicated time when you're doing it. Because training for me, I would train six days a week, um, up to 15 hours in that six days a week. So there's a when I'm doing my big, really long endurance Ironman type stuff, then it's huge commitment uh, yeah. time wise. So the police officers, the women really appreciated it. And then a week later, I had to go and do it in a mixed group, which was really a little daunting because they all sat there in their blinking uniforms. The, <laughs> the women weren't. They were all casual, which was nice. But the week later, I was in a bigger room with a mixed audience, predominantly male. But not only were they UK police officers, we had some foreign ones. And then I felt a little awkward because some of my slides show me with my bag out or in a costume. I did, I did sort of have to pre-warn about yeah. some of the images because I didn't want to offend anybody but I hadn't known there were going to be some foreign police officers yeah. in there as well but yeah it all went well and I do WI the Women's Institute book me yeah. regularly for all their groups and stuff so but yeah so I do quite a lot for businesses as well as police forces <laughs> yeah Amazing. that's and great do you ever find um i i remember once i did a talk a couple of years back now for the um staff network group disability network group at work um they have like an annual meeting and someone comes in and shares their disability or whatever and the entire way through there was just like looking at my waist because i was wearing this dress and it you know it, it was quite a tight dress and it's like yes i live with a stone and immediately it was like and then at the end, it's like, anyone got any questions? And there was not one single unpoo related question. And I know that you kind of, <laughs> you expect that, but it was more of the, like, tell us of the accident stories. Do you get that kind of thing? Like, people want to know sort of the nitty gritty of stoma life rather than the medical kind of practical side. Sometimes it's just actual curiosity about human stuff. Do you get that yeah. when you speak to people? I do. And the ones that really amazed me the most were actually students, school, school kids. Yeah. Um, I've done quite a lot in schools. I've gone into schools and given talks. And I remember going into this classroom of kids. They were probably in their last couple of years at the school. So sort of late, later teens, you know, mid teens ish. And I would talk about what I do and the triathlons. And, you know, it was there to inspire them to do stuff. And at the end, you know, it's the Q&A. And I would expect the questions normally to be, how long is your triathlons? What do you eat? How do you drink? All this sort of stuff, which is typically what I get when I give a talk. Oh, no. The, the school kids say, so how do you change your bag when you're on the bike? <laughs> and do you take it off? Or how does it work? As you say, they like the, the gruesomeness. But I was actually really impressed that they did because yeah. it showed they really took on board what we were living through, what I'd lived through. And, and understanding it. it yeah and, had and go, yeah. yeah and some of them would say oh my my grand's got one or my dad's got one or something but they probably have never asked them the questions yeah. that they felt they could ask me because I'm very very open about it yeah me too uh, the common one I get is so you can't fart then I get that all the time oh you can oh, you can you just can't control <laughs> it. <laughs> it when I do you just can't smell it but you can see it <laughs> yeah 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 you can or you can hear it I mean the kids yeah. find it hilarious if I'm sitting at dinner and I've if I've not eaten much all day yeah and then I eat then your body generates gas yeah yeah, yeah. as you sit yeah. at the dinner table and you can hear it go and the kids just used to laugh and go yeah. my kids called it strawberry from those days when they were tiny they called it strawberry because it looked like one 
Oh. And so even to this day, they are now 19 and 17 years old and they still call it strawberry. It's just oh, called strawberry. And they just laugh. They'd sit at the dinner table and go, strawberry's farting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get meetings that like she'll pipe up in a meeting on Teams and they'll be like, all right, Rosie. Yep, yeah, thanks for that. And like everyone knows now. So I'm just like, yeah, it's fine. I should have given mine a more normal name, calling it strawberry. It's like I bizarre. Like yeah, because your kids did it. That makes it even yeah. more amazing. I love that. So yeah, much. they called it that because that's what they thought it looks like. <laughs> right, well, um, we are pushing on. So just to round up, two things, two questions. So one, what's your proudest life moment post-Doma? And two, if you wanted people to walk away from this conversation with one thing, what takeaway would you want that to be? Oh, well, first of all, then my proudest moment, I it has to be my races. I'm trying to think. I couldn't even pick which one, but there are so many races that I've managed to achieve. And even though I've been cut, I'll say it was probably one of the full Ironman that I've done. I'm stood on the edge of a lake with all these amazing athletes. A little bit of imposter syndrome will kick in, you know, thinking, what the hell am I doing on the side of this lake with all these amazing swimmers? Yeah. But I swam the Ironman distance in an hour and 45 you get two hours 20 to do it I've also done at least part of the bike route I've ridden with some amazing international triathletes I've now had Louise Minchin um, follow me she raced with me she contacted me she raced with me this year I saw her race on BBC News so cool. yeah. yeah it's really cool yeah she's amazing well she contacted me earlier this year because she and I follow one another and talk triathlon occasionally um, and she's just writing her next book that's coming out in April called Adventures with Superwomen as she approached me to be one of her superwomen oh so, that's amazing that's great so she and I we she wanted to know what I was doing this year and my adventure was I did a half Ironman race this year and she came and did it with me so we had an adventure together so I think my proudest moment is to do things like that and show to me that means people are taking notice I don't mean in a uh, a selfish way but it means we're having an impact we're helping people we're getting that message out so those are my proudest yeah so it's the proud moments that it's being heard um which I I love and the takeaway for people has to be you don't know what's coming all you know is you can make a decision there and then for you. Um, but having a bag is not the end of the world. It's not the worst case scenario. It's not the last resort. It's another choice. And it's a choice that you can make in your own time. What? I could not have summed that up more perfectly. I'm not going to lie. That's Amazing. Okay. So Amazing. Yeah, thank Issues. you. Uh, yeah, where's the new um, <laughs> It's with the lycra. Yeah. No, yeah. Me a lycra. no one needs to see that. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving yes. your time. Thank you so Thank much you. for talking to us. It's all, oh, I've well, heard yeah. your story before, but I will never get bored of listening to it. Um, Thank you for everything that you've done, for everything you do, especially the IA. It has a massive impact. And I, for one, I'm on the receiving end of that. And it's been incredible. So brilliant lovely to talk to yeah, you yeah thanks for spending your evening with us thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure
Oh well, what a what a wonderful chat with Caroline that was. Um, yeah. Certainly inspirational uh, to me. I mean, just the triathlete bit, the swimming bit, all yeah. that sort of stuff. She is you, basically, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, pretty much. Form. Like, yeah, she had all the same nervous of swimming and. But no. yeah, but what I loved was the, the positivity coming through yeah. and really having a stoma and a bag and 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 that was abs- is absolutely no barrier yeah. to doing regular things and even extreme things like Ironmans and half Ironmans and things like that. So yeah. hats off, Caroline. I think that was absolutely amazing. So thank you so much for that. And also thank you so much for listening. I hope you got something from it from a patient's point of view. As always, get in touch with us at bangersandmashchat at gmail.com or hit the DMs on Instagram at bangersandmashchat. Um, and we will be back for episode seven uh, on the usual sort of format next week. So yeah. until then, have a great week and we will speak to you then, guys. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.